Need to create a complex enterprise Angular application? Angular Bootcamp is an intensive three-day workshop class to learn the basics of Angular through sophisticated techniques for real-world applications. We target Angular 6 and the recent versions with much of the curriculum is suitable back to Angular 2. Or go beyond the three-day class with a consultation or project launch with Oasis Digital, the team behind Angular Bootcamp. We can assist your team or launch your project with advanced Angular topics including scalability, data flow, state management, full stack product design, and more. Contact us for a private class at your location or buy a ticket for public classes in various cities around the U.S. and occasionally in Europe. Online live instructor training is also available at angularbootcamp.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Adventures in Angular. I'm Charles Max Wood from devchat.tv, and this week our guest is Adrian. How do you say your last name, Adrian? It's uh, Fachu. Fachu. Yes, something like that. Hi, all. Do you want to introduce yourself real quick? Let people know who you are. Yeah, sure. I'm Adrian. I'm a developer from Romania, and I've been involved with Angular development since I think it was in beta version or something like that. And I work for uh, Visma, which is a Norwegian company. Very cool. So you live in Romania and work for a Norwegian company? Uh, yes, they have uh, an office here, and but oh, nice. mainly their customers are in the Nordics, mm-hmm. and I get to travel there. Several oh, nice. times per year. Yeah, I find it interesting how global the market has become. I've talked to people that work for American companies in a number of different countries, and you know, yeah, uh, companies from other countries in the, in Europe, different from the ones that they live in, and yeah, it's just interesting how it's become this more yeah global phenomenon where people can kind of work from wherever they want for companies in completely different countries. Yeah, I think it's great, and you can find the awesome distributed teams like one guy in each country, and everything works fine. Yep, absolutely. So you said that they have an office down near where you live? Uh, yeah, we're actually we started from a few people, and now we're like over two hundred. Oh wow, very cool. Just real briefly before we get into the topic here, how are you folks using Angular over there? Is it internal tools or is it customer facing tools or all of the above? Or how, how does uh, that all work out? Well, I think we have several products that use Angular, and they are all they are all customer facing products. Uh-huh. Deployed in production and everything, and with customers using them, I'm not aware of any internal tools. So, most of uh, of the applications that use Angular get to the to the customers. Cool. Uh, let me really quickly just dive into this blog post that you wrote on Angular in depth. It's a it's just tips and tricks for NGRX, and and I'll admit that I'm not as familiar with NGRX as I would like to be, um, and our NGRX experts aren't here. So uh, I'm going to dive in and I'm going to ask all my newbie questions and then you can kind of go into more depth. But yeah, this article, you kind of break things up into actions, effects, reducers, and general tips. Now, do you want to just, uh, before we get into this too far, do you want to just explain what all of those are for people who aren't as familiar with NGRX? What actions, effects, reducers are? Yeah, sure. So the short story of that article is that after I've worked with NGRX for like, I don't know, over one year, I've uh, seen people doing different things and I've uh, learned some things the hard way, mainly doing them wrong myself and then figuring this out. <laughs> I, I think a lot of us do that on yeah, React. Exactly. Uh, on React Roundup this morning, one of our uh, panelists said, 
that you don't get it right until you've written it three times. So Yeah, something like that. <laughs> and well, after I figure out some things, uh, you know, everyone says that uh, if you want to write a, a blog post, make it about what you wanted to find out like half a year yep. ago. So I tried to write something that I would have loved to read when I started with all of this and and uh, get a better idea of, of what uh, I was doing and how. Very cool. It looks like John Poppet just joined us. John, do you want to say hi real quick? Anyway, he knows a bit more about NGRX than I do. So this will be good. Now we can ask all the expert questions alongside my noob questions. So yeah, so actions, effects, reducers. Yeah, you wrote about something that you you wished was out there. Yeah, so basically NGRX is a library that helps you manage state in an Angular application. Yeah, so um, you, you talk about using classes for all actions. What difference does that make? Yeah, well, this actions is how you modify the state. Basically, uh-huh. you emit an action with a type and some maybe sort of payload, the data that the action has. And usually in React or other ecosystems, this is just an object. So you have an object with a type and that's it. That's an action. Right. You could do that in Angular also. But since we're, we're relying on TypeScript, using just a plain old object won't be that great for us because we won't have any type, any kind of type safety or code completion when we work with it. If we create classes for all our actions, we'll be able to benefit from this type of type safety or code completion. So for example, when um, when we're using the action, we know exactly that uh, it has a payload with this type of, uh, of object inside it. Or when we use it in a reducer, the reducer is the part that updates the state. We can tell the reducer that this is the type of actions that we expect to get in. And then we know uh, everything about that action, basically how it's supposed to look. You know that it has a payload with, for example, a message property and that's a string and so on. So we can easily work with the code and refactor it and so on. People complain that it's a bit more boilerplate to create classes for all of these actions. But in the end, I think on the long run, it's a, it's a benefit for everyone. That makes sense. So essentially what you're saying then is, let's say we set up a class for um, your example, you use a log error. Uh, yeah, we can, we can have all kind of examples that I could log or all of, for example, uh, we have actions related to a user and we'll create a class for user login and user logout and user change name and so on. And so we'll have like, if we have 10 actions related to users, we'll have 10 different classes that represent this, these actions. Gotcha. And so when, when you hand it off to the reducer, then the reducer knows it's getting something consistent every time. Yeah, basically it allows us to, to write easier the code in the reducer and, and to refactor it more, more easily. And there are some other, other tricks that we can use related to, to these classes. Like, for example, keeping all of them in, in the same file. And this is contrary to, to what you'd call a best practice because usually whenever you create a class, you'll have one file for each class. But if you have, like, like I said, 10 different uh, classes for all the actions for a user, you'll just keep them in the same file. It makes way more sense to do that. TSLint will probably complain, but you can disable the rule for that, for that specific file. And since you have all of them in, in the same file, you can do different things with them. Like uh, in TypeScript, we have this uh, type called the union type. Mm-hmm. And basically, we can create a type, call it like uh, user actions. 
and it's all the all the classes that we just defined. So it's a union type that's basically any of the user actions. And then in a reducer, we just specify, okay, we'll expect a user action. And user action is any of those classes. And that's sort of a, a nice way to do it. I'm, I'm a little curious. You, you said that you learned a lot of these by doing things wrong. So what does it look like if you don't do it right? What kinds of things are you going to run into? Uh, well, for example, if you don't put all your classes in the same file related to one type of entity, you'll end up with lots, lots of files. And then that would be a bit of a nightmare to maintain. If you don't create this kind of urine types, you'll have to copy-paste all the actions in different places. So you're going to say, here I would want an action that's user login or user logout or user change name instead of just saying user actions. That's, that's one example. That makes sense. And um, whenever we create this, these classes for, for the same way, like learning the hardware, uh-huh. I was usually to naming them, including the entity, just to create intent like user uh, login, user fetch, and so on, like putting user in front of all of them. And then when I wanted to use one, I, I just put dot after something. It's like 20 actions that all start with user, and good luck finding the one you want. That was becoming a bit, uh, a bit trickier. So I started to drop this entity name in the classes. Like I just call it login and logout and, and so on. And whenever I'm using them, I just import everything from that file and give it an alias. Like import everything from user actions as user actions, and then I have user actions fetch or user actions login and so on. And oh, interesting. It's a bit, uh, a bit easier to manage and avoid like really long names. So if you import user actions, like you said, does it import all of the other types, the, the login and everything else? Yeah, you just import everything from that file. It's, right. And you give it an alias, and it's, it's the way you work it afterwards. Okay, got it. Yeah, I was just thinking that you know, John, if you if you have any thoughts or questions here, you know, maybe you can chime in. I know some of these are probably pretty obvious to you, and some of them might be new to you. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I'm scanning through here, and let's just focus on actions because that's what you were just talking about for a moment. So the negative I hear a lot with actions, especially in Angular, is that because we're using TypeScript, uh, you know, we create constants, which quite frankly, a lot of people in the view will create constants too uh, for their actions, for their Vuex, which is like their version of NGRX. Uh, so you still have those, but the action class creators, they seem to me to cause an un do amount of stress on people, uh, myself included, for just how much additional code that actually ends up making you have to write. How do you how do you feel about that? Uh, yeah, this is what I tried to avoid in the beginning. I, exactly like you said, I didn't want to write all that code. Yeah. And I spent a bit of time investigating different ways uh, of handling this. But in the end, the fact that uh, well, I have these classes and I can rely on TypeScript for sort of like type safety and uh, ease of refactoring and so on. On the long run, for me, it was a benefit, and I just got used to having all those classes. You know, I, I hear that a lot, and I feel you. Uh, when I was doing NGRX originally, I did the same thing. I wrote them. I didn't like them. I got rid of them. And then I missed the type safety and the tooling support that you got with them. <laughs> so I went back to them. Uh, the other thing I didn't like is that, and it's not just that it was a class. It was that every time I... I created a new action. I had to create the constant. I had to create the 
what we call them action class creators. And then at the very end of the file, and I always forgot to do this, the place where you do the union type at the end, I'd often forget to actually add that action to the end of it. I don't even know what you call that thing. Is that it's just a group union type, right? Yeah, and yeah, union type. Yeah, and if you don't add all of those things, then your actions don't actually work, even though you can create them. I guess that's been the struggle for me with with the actions. It's like even on a simple project, I've had action files with 120 lines of code uh, for a single model, and that's kind of a put off to me. It just seems like a lot of repetitive code. I guess it's more of a statement than a question. It sounds like it's just one of those things that you you learn to get over with NGRX. Is that right? Mm, for me, it was. I mean, I did the same thing as what you just said. I mean, sometimes I forget I did the union types also, and then I'm just going back and trying to figure out what I did wrong. But I did it the other way. Basically, I tried to use it without classes. Yeah. And I had uh, so many pains with this, and I just went back and said, okay. Let's just create classes for everything. It's a lot of code, but maybe I just learned to ignore it. And I like the benefits more than, than the fact that there are too many classes. Yeah, and kind of moving on to some of the tips that you have in the actions. I, I like your ideas here of you know keeping it all in the file. So kind of separating your actions out with the naming conventions in the files. Uh, I think I'm looking here, like you're saying, you short name for the constants in the classes. I agree there. How do you feel about the names of those actions? Like I noticed you're doing uppercase for the constants and then inside of the actions, you're doing like documents, fetch, documents, fetch success, or documents is like a, just a regular spelled word where the first letter is capitalized and the rest. Do you have like conventions that you generally tell people they should be using there? Generally, I just look to what people are using and I pick them up. I'm using them exactly like in the example and just trying to write where the action is or where it's coming from. And then the name of it. Yeah. But one thing that I've, I've initially did wrong there, and then I figured it out, was that I was uh, basically reusing actions. And uh, Mike Ryan has a very good talk about good actions hygiene about this. Yeah. Basically, you can have one action, and if you use it like from 10 places from your application, then you have no idea where it's coming, and debugging begins to be quite a pain. So, right now, in whenever I create those constants, Maybe I uh, put something like uh, documents dash, I don't know, documents page or documents dash document details for for different actions. So beside the entity, I also know the place in the application where that, that action is generated. The important part too of naming, not the, not the name of the constant, but the name of the string inside of it to me is really the value that the Redux dev tools give you. Uh, you know, when you roll that in Chrome and you want to see what's happening with your state, it really does help to have a consistent naming convention there so you can actually see what the actions are being displayed because that's what's showing up inside that tool. So I, I think, you know, the constants aside, that's for you to read the code, but I think the string name, it's important just to continue a naming convention. So when you're debugging, which eventually you will do, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. That's usually a pain point if you if you don't do it right. And then when you look in the dev tools, you have no idea what's happening there. And then... Yeah, you're, you're like, what the heck is happening here? I don't even know. Exactly. So. exactly. <laughs> no, I, I think, I mean, in actions, it's just one of those necessary things that we have to have uh, in this pattern. Uh, to me, it's a love-hate relationship just because there's so much code that goes along with it. And inevitably, it becomes a thing that, uh, I copy and paste, which usually means I end up forgetting to change something. Yeah. <laughs> so I hear you. I agree with you that it's uh, valuable. I don't necessarily like creating them. It's one of the things that turned me off originally about NGRX, to be honest. 
now I spent a lot of time trying to figure out a different solution for this. Like several people were telling me, just create action classes for these actions and go. And I was like, no, I won't have that much code. And after a while, I just gave up. Okay, (laughs) this is how it works and let's just use it. So I find it interesting too, moving on to effects. I mean, the idea of effects in NGRX is it's a way for you to do a side effect, right? So everything that happens inside the Redux cycle for state management, this pattern, is synchronous. And if you want to do something outside of that, that's when you pull in effects, right? Basically for any kind of HTTP call or any kind of processing that's not synchronous, you need to do it in, in an effect. Yeah, HTTP is a great example of that. And it could also even be like calling some other API, like a, some AI API, for example. Like we do Azure Cognitive Services a lot, my team, and we'll call off to one of those APIs asynchronously in an effect. But I've heard a lot of people say, you know, you don't even really need effects to do NGRX, or maybe they won't even use effects. They'll get their data in other ways. How do you feel about this? Do you feel like using the effects themselves is good or you should do it in some other way? I've seen projects that don't use them at all. But from my point of view, they make uh, my components way cleaner. For example, I don't want my component to know that I have some kind of uh, HTTP service that will fetch the data and details of the implementation and how to fetch it. I just let my component to know that it has to emit some event and get some data and that's it. Because otherwise, like, let's think about like getting a list of customers. If you use effects, you just say, give me the customers. It looks in your store to see if they're there or not. It'll call the effect as a side effect. It'll, it'll first give you back nothing, let's say, and that through an observable. Um, the side effect will kick off asynchronously, go get the customers, populate the state, and then the cycle still gives you, I'm using my hands here, nobody can see me. Forget that I'm on a podcast here. Uh, side effect is that the effects will then load the customers into the state and then you'll still get those to the component so it kind of feels magical and it's fun and, and i like it but i agree with you if you don't use effects and you still need to go get the customers do you just like i don't know in a component do you say hey use redux to give me the customers if they're not there first go off to uh you know maybe some angular service that i wrote may synchronously call the service and then come back and then in the component, you've got them. So then you stuff it in state and ask the state for it again. That seems kind of weird to me, you know, to, to not use the effects. I think you have several benefits. The components uh, become way easier to test if you don't have this kind of logic inside them. And uh, for example, if you want to implement some kind of uh, caching on your web app in the client, it's way easier if you just have the effects and just put everything in the state. Let's be curious to hear, Chuck, did you say that you don't use the Redux pattern much? I haven't had as much chance to dive into it as I would like. I'm, I'm starting to get into Vue and Vuex, which is mm-hmm. built on the Redux pattern. But, Same kind of pattern, yeah. yeah. But, but I, ha- I haven't done much with it yet. Well, so. I'm curious, for because we both used this in NGRX, and it sounds like you have not. I'm curious from somebody who hasn't dove into the specific NGRX, does the idea of effects make sense to you or? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've had some discussions with people about functional programming mm-hmm. and reactive programming. And it feels like NGRX and Redux are kind of built around some of those ideas. And so effects are sort of side effects, for lack of a better term, which is something that you tend to try and avoid in functional programming. Yeah, so effects would be, like you said, you know, calling out to an external API to store data or to get data. 
Or another effect that I could see is updating the UI somewhere. So you update a component or load a yeah. different component. Yeah. Th- that, those could all be effects. So that makes sense. You but, have multiple but, effects too. You don't have to have yes. one, you have multiple. Yeah. Yeah. I, so, I find it interesting, the whole effect idea that we can have. I mean, it's a separate library too. So you could actually pull it in separate, right, right Adrian? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a different package. You have the store with everything, then you have effects and a few more. Yeah, the, the one thing that I like about the idea of effects is that you can make very constrained assumptions about everything else that happens in NGRX. And then all the complicated external facing stuff, you just you can put into effects. And as long as you don't dump everything into effects, you can make it, you know, so don't make them too complicated, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, so like, like John said, you can have multiple effects. So update the UI could be an effect. Update this other component could be an effect. Update the server could be an effect. And essentially, then you have this idea of everything else as far as just managing the state all happens in a very formalized way. Yeah, and well, I'm trying to treat my effects sort of like functions. They should mm-hmm. be small and each of them should do only one thing. Yeah, I don't care if I have like 40 of them for one specific entity as long as each of them <laughs> all and I can easily understand. Wait, 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 wait. You're going to have 40 effects on a single entity? I hope not. But <laughs> <laughs> I want to know what you're doing. <laughs> everything, doing everything. So, so one thing that I'm curious is you, you said to implement the two payload method and I don't, I don't, that's something that I'm not quite clear on. Yeah, it's something that it was a part of NGRX at some point. I'm not 100 convinced that you still need it. Mm. Basically, what people are doing and what I also did on each of these actions, when you have uh, some data to send with it, you have a payload property. And by convention, you always call it payload. And then in FX, whenever you were working with it, you had to do like action.payload, action.payload in order to get rid of that you're doing a map and you're mapping the data to the payload. Gotcha. And instead of doing that uh, each time, it's trivial than like 10 characters to write a method to use it in the map to map it to that payload. Mm-hmm. And you can either do that and use it all over the place or you can simply use like object destructuring to get the payload property and just skip the map completely. That makes sense. So it basically comes down to how much magic you want or, you know, how much shorthand you want to use. Yeah, well, you know, if you write the same thing like 100 times, you might get yeah. bored and want to make it nicer and just remove some of uh, some of the repetition. I'm a little confused on one thing. I hope you can help me out with your error handling. I'm really encouraged to see that you added that as a tip inside the effects section. Like, always handle errors. Makes yep. total sense. But let's say your effect is going off to get HTTP. It's asynchronous again, and it's not necessarily tied directly to the UI. So what do you encourage people to do in the error handler of an effect? This is something that uh, happened to me like two times or three times. And first time, it was really interesting. So basically, whenever you, we handle that effect, we work with the actions and actions. It's all the actions in the application, and it's a stream, meaning an observable. So if you get an error on it, it's done. It, you won't get any kind of uh, events after that. So what I was trying to explain there is that whenever you read data with uh, the HTTP service or anything um, that involves a stream that can get an error, is to do it on another stream and just merge it into the actions with uh, 
switch to statement or any kind of similar operator because you can handle there or there. So if you call a get and you get an error because you can't reach the service, you should do it on another stream, catch there or there and, and handle it. Because what happened to me, I did that exactly on the, on the action stream. I got an error and then everything stopped. You cannot dispatch any more error. Nothing happens in your application. You're like, yeah, that's not okay, good. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Things grind to a halt. That's not good. Yeah, yeah. I, I would have to agree. That's a great tip because you really want to help people with that. Yeah. Well, the other thing is, is that... And, and Angular's gotten a lot better about this. But I still, in my debugging tools, get cryptic errors out of my apps, no matter what I'm using. And so if I have something that's catching the error myself, and it's raising it at the right point and saying, hey, here's what happened, and it happened right here, then I can... I can dive back in and I can get, you know, I can eliminate everything below it, if that makes sense. Why are you writing errors? It, it's a gift. <laughs> you used to work for Disney. It's a talent that I always have possessed. <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah. No, I appreciate these kinds of tips, though. I think that's what's great. Blog posts that explain like, hey, not just the happy path, but, you know, what do you do in the unhappy path? That's, they're some of the best ones, in my opinion. Well, the thing is, is that, I mean, even when you're writing something that's generally easy to get the happy path correct on, I don't know about you, but I, I have this talent for screwing it up anyway. And usually I can fix it in like two seconds, right? It's like, oh, I did this wrong. But, but the idea that I might get stuck on something stupid, a typo or something, having tips like this really pays off for me. I agree. Well, if I'm just kind of going down your list, Adrian... Reducers. <laughs> Actually, wait, no, no. You mentioned something really interesting right before that on effects. Effects are services. And I kind of skimmed over this. And you said, we need to use the injectable decorator. But now that we've got the, and I agree with that, but now that we've got the provided in attribute that you can pass into that decorator, how do you feel about where you should provide your effects? I haven't really thought about that. What I meant to say about the fact that they are services is that uh, I've seen cases where people simply forget that and they're like, okay, I have this effect, but I want to call an API or I want to call a service. How do I do that? Yeah. It, it looks like they forget that they can use dependency injection just to get any other service inside that effect class like anything else in your application. Right, so you're saying make sure you put the add injectable on the effect service class so if you're injecting HTTP client, for example, it'll yeah. actually be found. Yeah. Uh, and then the, the thing I was talking about too is the provided side is you've got to provide your services somewhere with provided in, you know, you can provide it at the root or you can provide it in a module, right defined inside your effects service now. Or the old way was you could do, uh, it's not that old, but <laughs> you could go into like the providers array inside of a module and define those there. I'm just curious how you roll what, what do you do? Do you provide them in the ng module or do you provide them in the ad injectable these days? Most of the applications that I, I work on were started when we didn't have providing. So they are just uh, uh, spreaded in different modules. And now I'm, I'm updating them to uh, use provided in. But it's like now it's that weird state when I'm using both. Because it's still like old code yes. when they are in modules <laughs> and new things that are being written where where I'm using provided in. 
that this thing would provide in him makes much more sense for me to use it. And it, it helps you because if you have a service and you don't reference it to anyone, mm-hmm. it'll just be removed from the bundle. And that's great because I tend to forget to delete the file if it's not used. So that's helpful. Yeah, I like that too. It's like follows the deletability of code, you know, mantra. So if you have a service and you're not using it, you can just delete it and it's done. I love deleting code. Me too. I don't have to keep that in my head anymore. (laughs) There's nothing more frustrating though when you delete code and then all of a sudden you start getting errors. You're like, it's referenced here. It's referenced there. It's referenced here. And then you end up in this like spaghetti pool. You're like, no. (laughs) Uh, It's a good way to figure out if you still need it though. Yeah, but the, as, as Adrian was saying, if you go to provide it in, then you could say, you know what, I'm not using this thing anymore, and bye-bye. <laughs> you just delete the file, right? Yeah, 100%. Well, I think more and more people will use, will use this way of registering services until I think everyone will just use provided in. They won't be specified in modules at all. Is your job search stuck? Maybe you're not getting any interviews with employers, or maybe you are, but no job offers. Or you may be new and not even know where to start. This is Charles Maxwood, and I'm releasing a new course and ebook on how to find a job as a software developer. The course walks you through the process of finding the types of companies you want to work for, getting their attention, and putting your best foot forward as the candidate they want. I've coached dozens of developers in looking for jobs and have been able to help several people find jobs within two weeks to two months. So whether you're new to development, can't find a great job that fits what you want, or are looking for remote work from an area without a strong tech community, I can help. Go to getacoderjob.com and sign up today. I noticed probably the lightest section of your tips in your post is on reducers. And I'm curious of why that is, but my second part of my question there is like, you're saying keep them simple. How do you keep them simple? So first part is why, why no more tips on reducers? And second, like, how do you keep them simple? Uh, yeah, I've, I've got this, uh, this observation from several people you have only one thing on reducers. And I was like, well, it's the most important thing. If you remember one thing from that part, I, I would like to be that, that you should keep them simple. Uh, I thought of a few others, but basically this was the biggest problem I had with reducers. So this is the only thing that I, I've tried to explain there. And how to keep them simple in any reducer, well, it takes care of updating the part of the state that's responsible for and it should only update that state. So mainly what I'm doing in my reducer is just destructuring that state and overriding with the object I get in the action, and that's it. And I've seen code like, well, if this property from the payload is true, then I need to do this, and I need to update this kind of um, part of the state or maybe compute this property and so on. And for me, that's kind of hidden logic. No one will look into reducer for it, and it's not its place to, to be there. So that's a great point. Where, so when somebody makes that kind of a code where they're putting in like if logic inside the reducer uh, and you're saying that's a no-no for you, where would you invite them to put it then? Like where would they do that information? Well, it, uh, it depends on, on different kinds of actions. For example, if I'm reading something from the API, maybe I have some uh, kind of, uh, of method that I apply to the data that I get to transform it to what I want. If it's an action from my application, I uh, we can just catch it into an effect, update whatever we want to update with the data, or maybe fetch the data from something, some other part or an external service, and then trigger a new effect that will get to to the to the reducer. So not all the actions have to go to the reducer and update something in the state. Yeah. Just 
catch them into FX, do whatever we need to them, and then update the state as needed. You know, the biggest thing I see that makes me go, hmm, when I look at reducers is when I see code that people are running an asynchronous action inside of the reducers. Not not a NGRX action, but they're running asynchronous code inside of a reducer. Yeah, exactly. And I see that a lot, actually. You're talking about like HTTP calls and things like that? Yeah, it's usually not HTTP. I have seen HTTP, like people do it inside there. It's like weird. So you go call an action, get your state, the reducer kicks in. And sometimes they're doing HTTP there. But more often, I've seen it where uh, it's hard to explain. Somebody will make... like They have some other call locally in the wrap that's doing something asynchronous. I even see like in the reducer, somebody like pops up a modal and asks somebody a question. <laughs> waiting for the answer. And I'm like, that's probably not where you want that to be. Um, are there any way, like what other kind of pitfalls? Like, I sense that, you know, through this post, you've got a lot of great experience on things that people should avoid. Uh, and I noticed the tip says, here's what you should do. But tell us some of the things that people can step into when they're using these. No, this thing that you said, it's, it's great. Basically, uh, that's why I only have this thing about reducers. I've seen a lot of cases when really bad stuff was done inside reducers. And that should be really avoided. We should think about reducers maybe sort of like uh, almost pure functions. They should just update something and that's it. And if uh, I think it resumes down to testing. If you cannot easily test them, then maybe you're doing something weird or wrong. And that's a good point. You should fix it. One one thing that I'm wondering about, just uh, you know, not having done a ton with this particular pattern, is what does the life cycle look like? I mean, do you call a reducer from an effect, or an effect, or an action from an effect, or reducer from an action? Does, does that make sense? Basically, the reducers are are called by the library for any action that gets uh, gets dispatched. Okay. And a reducer, it's just like a switch function on the action type and. If the type matches with whatever you you want in the reducer, then you you get the action and you can update the part of the state that uh, that you want with with that data. I think what you're getting at, Chuck, too, is uh, and I agree with Adrian here that it can be confusing with all the different terms in this Redux cycle of like you got these effects and reducers and actions and state and all the stuff. Uh, we haven't gotten into dispatching yet, but <laughs> where does it start? <laughs> where does it end? I mean, like. You know, in your component, you have to say, call this action, which we do through dispatchers generally, right? Like, not call this action, but perform this action. Uh-huh. And then the action, let's say it's get customers. And tell me, tell me if I'm off here, Adrian. The action is get customers. The NGRX uh, library then listens for that and then helps connect it into the reducer for you to say, look in the state for this you know, pull the state out, manipulate it, whatever that action says to do, and then returns that through an observable stream to whatever observable you're listening to in the component. Did I say that in a way that makes sense? Yeah, that's what it does. It just sends it to the reducers. Basically, even if we have like 40 files with 40 different reducers, what the library does, it combines all of them into one huge reducer. So basically, each action is sent to all of the reducers. And it just uh-huh. switches on the type and whatever it matches, it updates the state. And you use selectors in your components to get data from the state and that selector is created in an observable. So each time 
that property from the state changes, you get a new value on the stream that something changed and you update you update your UI or you react to it in, in any way you want. So you don't I guess never really manipulate the reducer in any way. You never talk to the reducer directly, is kind of my point. Right. Yep. So so the other bit that I'm wondering about then is let's say that I say get customers and I haven't preloaded a customer list into my state. Is that something that I should have done before now? Or is is does that happen somewhere in the life cycle where it it calls um, our effects and the effects load the information into the state and then the reducer pulls it back out for the action? Now, and this is a um, widely used pattern, I think, to load data like this. So if when you want to load the customers, you would actually trigger an action, for example, called fetch customers. Uh-huh. This will be handled only by an effect. Oh, I got you. So the action will call the effect. Uh, the effect, basically, that action is sent to, to an observable, to a stream, and the effect uh-huh. listens to that stream, and whenever it catches that action that you care about, it lets you do something. And in our case, we'll do, for example, an HTTP call to get the customers. And when we get all the data back, we trigger a new action, for example, customers fetch success with the payload of all the customers that were loaded. That goes into a reducer, and the reducer will update the state with the new list of customers. Uh-huh. And your selector in a component will get the new value with the customers, and your your UI will get updated with, with the new list of customers. This would be like the the life cycle and this is like a normal normal thing where you use FX for. Okay. That makes sense. I just wasn't sure what the workflow looked like there. I think a lot of it depends on what you want to do too, Chuck. Like you could theoretically just as he said have an effect that goes off against the data when you want. Uh-huh. A lot of times what I'll do is I'll say get customers. I'll say here's a selector for the customers and I'll have an action there that basically uh says, you know, fetch customers or whatever. The reducer looks in the state tree first to see, okay, pull out the state. The selector says, give me back the customers. Initially, that's an empty array. Right. There's a moment in time where your component, your view has no customers. And it was told by the store, there's nothing there. Yep. But in the meantime, there's an asynchronous uh, event happening, the effect, which is also listening to the action saying, okay, I'm going to go get that stuff. And then it's going to run through the reducer, the state train selector back again. So there's actually, that depends how you want it. That lets you have like empty and then full. Right. If you want to check it yourself, you can check it yourself and then go call HTTP. Um, It really depends how you want to play the game. Right. That makes sense. So in your scenario, it gives me back an empty array, triggers an effect to go get the customers from the back end. Um, and then when that comes back, then it uses the reducer to put it in, update the state, and then there's another effect that goes and updates my UI. Uh, not an effect, but the selector. It's the same selector. So through the same selector, everything is right to the end there. Uh, the selector you're listening to in the component effectively um, comes back the first time with your empty array and the second time with your, your full array. Okay. Now, and it's not happening synchronously, remember. So when you call your action, uh, two things kind of split off. They fork at that point. The first point is the action goes to the reducer, goes to the state tree, gets the empty array, pulls it back. So simultaneously, the action says, uh, or the effect says, hey, I want that action too. And I'm going to go make an HTTP call. And let's say it takes a second and a half. When it's done, it runs through that same cycle again. Right. 
So it's a little, little magical, to be honest with you. I think this whole cycle is a little weird. It's hard to grok. And honestly, I usually have to look at a diagram to kind of <laughs> remind myself of what's happening. I just know that like for me as a component writer, I say, here's my selector and you know, where's my data? <laughs> Bring it back in. Right. And that, that's something that's in, in here. It says in under general, it says use selectors. So selector is essentially, uh, I'm interested in this state or this state change or this kind of action. Am I thinking of this properly? And then it, it can come back around because it knows that that selector is something that correlates with what I'm doing. Um, yeah, basically, you have a select method, then you just specify what this slice of the state or this property, and you get back an observable that will emit a value each oh, time that property the state changes. So yeah, so whenever that changes, then I have an observable that says, hey, and it pushes up. Exactly, and, exactly. So you don't need to do anything after that. And yeah, your state usually ends up pretty big, so people will create selectors on pieces of the state that they can right. listen. Yeah, yeah, but it comes through an observable, so whenever it changes, I just get a new set of state, exactly. which is just that little piece of the overall store. Yeah, yeah here, do, update to this. Anything you want, a property, a list, whatever you need from the state. Yep. And my tip there was about these selectors, like when you create that observable. You can just specify, okay, I want to go to state and get uh, customers and get the list of customers and so on. Or you can use a method from NGRX. It's called uh -huh. create selector to simply create a function that knows how to get this part of the state. So instead of just putting that uh, inside the string or you get the state and uh, go to where you need to go, just add this, this selector function. You you usually create separate files with them. And if you have them like this, you have several benefits. For example, when you're starting out with this, you'll keep moving objects around in your state because you know for sure where they should belong. And if you're using this kind of selector functions, then you just change your selector and that's it. For example, you have get username. You then need to know throughout your application where exactly that's in the state. You just know that you want the username. Right. And then you can move the user to some other place in your state change that one selector and everything will work. You, you don't have to update anything else. Right, so I can hand my selector off to multiple places. Exactly. So if you just write, I want to select and get username, and that's it. You don't need to know, don't need to know anything else. Huh. And Fascinating. this allows you to, to compose selectors. So you just mm -hmm. fetch different parts of the different slices of the state and then just combine them together as needed. And another benefit here is that uh, they use internally a technique that I think it's called memoization or something like that, which basically mm -hmm. says that um, each time you these selectors are pure functions. So if you call them with the same arguments, it won't call the function again. It will just remember your previous your previous value and return it to it. So if right. you have three values from the state and call it and then call it again it won't uh, it won't call that method and just return the value back to you in case you're doing i don't know some kind of expensive computation or something there and hopefully just, you're not doing but yes exactly <laughs> i know <laughs> <laughs> that was what i was thinking what the heck could i do there to be that expensive but <laughs> it's but i think you know seeing a trend in some of your tips here too and a lot of it is you know not only avoiding pitfalls but also easier ways to code uh, for example, I saw you're taking advantage of the action creator technique, 
uh, you're also in this case saying you should take advantage of the create selector technique. Um, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of terms in NGRX, the whole the Redux model. So when you've got these actions, reducers, effects, and dispatchers, and I'm probably missing two or three others that I forgot already, states and stores, it's nice to have a way to kind of create, to make the code easier. And I agree, the create selector is, is a nice tip. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of terminology, and usually it takes quite a bit of time for someone new to grasp everything and understand what's going on. And you're I think saying I get most of it now, but I'll have forgotten it by tomorrow. So, <laughs> and Adrian says, "Don't use the store all over the place." What do you mean? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, isn't that the point, right? I've got, I've got, <laughs> yeah. I've got this store. I need Is all the data everywhere. Clickbait. Is this clickbait, man? Don't use store. <laughs> Create a store and then don't use it. No, no, I'm sure you're, I'm sure you're getting a something more important. So tell us about that. Just in one place. Yeah, I think this is more like um, so-called dumb components. Basically, I've seen people that, okay, I have the store. I need this data. So I'm just going to fetch it to wherever I need it. Mm-hmm. And that kind of sometimes creates some problems. Usually when, when I design a new feature or some new components, I try to make most of them dumb. So they are basically just simple components that have some HTML. They know how to display it. And they have some uh, inputs and outputs. And that's it. They don't know about anything else. They don't know about any service. They don't know about any store and anything. And uh, somewhere an upper level, it's like, like a parent. I have something called a container or main page or can call it uh, different names. And that's where I know the store and create the selectors and I fetch the data, trigger new actions and so on. And inside this container, I have all the dumb components that uh, that don't know anything about any store. They basically don't know anything about the application. They don't just know, okay, I get a list of customers. I have to show it. And when a user clicks on a customer, I need to event that customer clicked and so on. And the container is the one that knows about the store, triggers the actions, selects all the data and so on. That and makes sense. Then all those components are sort of like easier to test and to reason about because they are well, very simple. Right. Like it's just a button. It, it doesn't, you know, the component's job is to know to dispatch an action. Exactly. So you click the button and it just triggers an output, a normal angular output and event that the button was clicked and a yeah. container somewhere above will trigger an action. And maybe, for example, we're going to reuse that component and in different places it will trigger different actions. And that's easy to do because we don't have any kind of action hard-coded inside it. That makes sense. Um, Are there any types of data that you may not want to use inside your NGRX store? I mean, I'm thinking, I don't know, maybe login information or, you know, just basic global user information that it might be overkill to use NGRX on? Um, well, it depends. I'm I'm not holding any kind of logging information there. I've mm-hmm. actually, when I initially started, I started without NGRX because I said I didn't need anything like that, and I've soon figured out that was a mistake. And then I've added more and more data. And right now, for example, I'm storing even the router data in the state because sometimes in some selectors it's helpful to know that you're on a specific page and you got there with that specific customer ID and so on. And uh, I think I'm storing most of the data there. For example, even uh, form data, a user just enters something and before you submit it to the server, I just store it in the state and, and so on. Hmm. There might be some things that I don't know. It's... 
I want to ask you why on something. I like to ask why, by the way. So yeah. I'm reading here, property initialization. You're yeah. saying that don't do it in the constructor. Instead, do it uh, from your example, right, as, right where the property is defined. Yeah. You don't say why. So I think the only reason for me there is that it's less code. And it's, it's easier to reason about. Like you guys said, if I can have less code, I would love to have it. So it's... I think that I find it cleaner probably just because it's, like I said, not that much code. And some people think that, okay, now I have to define my property and then I have to initialize it in the constructor or on and join in it or somewhere and just, just place it there. It's, it works. It looks okay. And because I noticed your, your example, you've got uh, company name and document status and they're both defined as properties. And then in the constructor, you've got to repeat those again and then set them to the selector. So... Yeah, I can definitely see as less code. And you have to uh, define the type if you create it as property, while if you just initialize directly, type you would infer the type and you don't have to, to put that there. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that's not in here that I've gone back and forth on, and I'm curious to get your take on, is this. Looking at your property initialization. So getting back to like Chuck, you had a question. I'm in a component. I want to get some data. <laughs> what do I do, right? You use a selector to get that. But to use a selector inside your component, you like looking at your code here, Adrian, you would say this dot store dot select and then whatever you're selecting, right? Yeah. The store object itself is a reference to the NGRX store. So that means you have to inject the store into your component, right? Yep. One of the things to me, I like separation. So I want my app to not even know NGRX is involved, my, my component, for example. Um, so one of the things I was starting to do, and I've, I don't know, I felt both ways in this. I was creating this uh, Angular service, just another class, which effectively helps dole out all of my selectors. So that way, I don't actually have to inject the store into 500 components. Instead, I inject this, uh, it's an abstraction, this abstraction service that basically handles giving my selectors to it. And the upside of that is, you know, you're, you're not really putting all the store stuff inside your component, the downside is there's yet another thing you have to deal with. I'm curious, you know, have you done this before? Am I crazy? What do you think? Um, I've seen this pattern and I'm uh, uh, actually investigating it. I haven't used it yet, like in a production application and just played with it. For me, it makes sense because what I did to to reduce this uh, usage of store was like I previously just create some containers and just those containers know about the store. But this would be even a step further, like just isolate everything, keep it in that service. And then whenever I need it, even if it's just in the container, I just get something from the service. And then like you say, it's perfect because no one knows anything about about that store. But exactly like you said, it's another uh, level of uh, indirection or added because you have to get the data from the service and have to trigger actions from the from the service, but I think you have some some benefits uh, with that way of doing things also. Yeah, honestly, in the end, you know, six of one, half dozen the other is how I felt. But the one thing that still sticks out to me is, let's say it's company name. That's what you're grabbing. Your code here says company name is your observable equals this.store.select my detail selector dot get document company name. The abstraction, if you had the abstraction place, you could simply say company name equals this dot whatever you call this abstraction, this dot my service dot company name. 
So to me, the code in your component becomes simpler to read. So you don't have to use, because I, I find the selector syntax to be a little more uh, lengthy to read. So that was, that's the one thing I keep going back to with this. And I haven't kind of firmed up which way I like yet, but since you're putting out tips here, I thought I might ask you. Yeah, that's good. And I think it's even better because someone might create components or work with them and they might even not know what the heck NGRX is and what's doing that. You just, you have a service and you have some methods in those services and just use them. Yeah, it's just an observable. Uh, that, that's really what it becomes. It becomes this service class that says, here's my observable. Yeah. Uh, you don't really know that it came from NGRX or it came from Chuck's garage, you know? <laughs> you don't want to see my garage. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think right now in most or in some Angular applications that I've seen, services are underrated. So in most cases, there are just some HTTP calls inside them or maybe some data. But uh, like you suggested, I think we can use them for much more than that for sure. Cool. Thank you for sharing all these tips with us. Thank you. It's, uh, well, it's what I've learned, what I fit around when I, when I work with it. And uh, it was nice for me writing that. And it's also helpful because from time to time I forget and then I go back to my article and see oh, what I said I should do. <laughs> it's like a reminder for myself. So what are you working on now? Or what are you working on next? I'm trying to finish a new blog post where I try to explain how you can create a Toast service with Angular CDK. Like those kind of notifications that show up like Snack Bar, I think they are called in Angular material. Cool. Um, um, Hopefully it will be it will be published in uh, on Angular in depth in the in the next day or something. We'll keep an eye out for it. Okay. If people want to find you online, uh, where do they generally go? Are you mostly posting to Angular in depth, or do you have uh, other places to post? I usually post on Medium. I'm probably on Angular in depth, and everyone can find me on Twitter. I'm just Adrian Facho. Basically, if you search for my name, you will find me because I think I have the same handler all over the places. Very cool. All right. Well, anything else we should dive into, John? Or should we get to picks? Well, you know, the, the elephant in the room is, you know, darn well that I want to talk about NGRX data, but we should do a, uh, we should do a whole show on that topic. We, we definitely should. Yeah, we'll get that scheduled. Yeah, there, no, there's a great. lot to talk to here. And it's funny because um, I, I occasionally will talk to people and they'll want a show on like NGRX or Angular CLI or something like that. And we, we kind of scratched the surface of it. And this was nice because we went into a little more depth, I think, than we've been able to in the past with NGRX. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of looking for some of those deeper ideas. So if you're interested, I am actually working on... I, I was using another system for ideas for show topics. And uh, I just switched it over. And you know, basically, I have forms on devchat.tv that you can fill in. And then you can go vote stuff up on Trello. So uh, listeners can go check that out. I'll make sure that I get links to all that in the show notes. But yeah, if there's anything that people in specific want to know about NGRX, I mean, even if, if it's a, hey, how the heck do I do this thing or that thing on NGRX or Angular, or I have a component that I think do, you know, that does this, that I think should do this other thing. You know, I'm, I, I'd love to have some of those discussions too. So we can get a little deeper on some of these topics. So anyway, um, I'm just going to throw that out there. And with that, uh, yeah, let's, let's go ahead and do some picks. And yeah, we'll make sure that we get that scheduled, John. Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way 
to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Do you have some picks for us, John? Well, surprise, surprise, I'm going to pick NGRX data. Uh, as a, Ward, Bell, and I uh, put this thing together. He's really the brains behind it. And uh, I'm kind of the usability side and testing it out. And it's going really, really well. It's going to be pulled into the main NGRX library. We actually just met with Mike Ryan and Brandon Roberts from Robert Mold a couple weeks ago at Angular Mix. And we were talking about the plans to do that. Uh, there's just a lot going on right now with the Angular community, trying to get uh, new versions of Angular up there. And the other thing is getting the new build system in play. They're trying mm-hmm. to use Bazel with it. So anyway, um, once things die down with that, NGRX data will get out of my repo, which you can currently find it in John Papa slash NGRX dash data in GitHub. And it'll go over to the main NGRX library. Uh, I've had a lot of uh, excited people using it. And we'd let, uh, the big key right now is we want to just get it out of my repo and into the official repo. So the whole team can support it. Uh, so check it out. I won't tell you exactly what it does because we're going to do an entire show on it. But uh, I think it's pretty darn cool. And it's not a competitor for NGRX. It is part of NGRX. So uh, definitely check that out. The next thing I'd like to do as a tip is uh, conferences. There's too many conferences around here. So my biggest tip for everybody is don't feel FOMO not going to all these conferences that are out there. There are probably a thousand of them these days. And it's very easy to feel like you're missing out on something if you don't make them all. Um, best thing you can do is you know just know that, that a lot of the stuff's online through videos. Uh, you can check it out with slides and things. And if you miss one, there's always another one You know, next week or probably the next day. So don't worry about the FOMO of missing events and conferences. Uh, nobody goes to all of them and God bless the ones who go to, you know, a couple dozen a year like Chuck. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't go to all of them by any means. <laughs> no. <laughs> this year for Angular, I made it to NGConf because it's right here in Salt Lake. Uh, Framework Summit also right here in Salt Lake. I was at Microsoft Ignite and met John there in person for a few minutes. I've been to a couple of podcasting conferences. That's about it. It's funny because people get this idea that, you know, a lot of us travel to a lot of conferences and some folks do, but generally they're speaking at a lot of them and they they have some reason for wanting to do that. Whether it's just they feel like it's their chance to connect with the community and they have some kind of evangelism job or whether, you know, they just really, really enjoy the travel, which is part of why I do it. Um, or it's just, you know, there, there are a lot of reasons for it. But yeah, the vast majority of folks make it to maybe a conference or two a year. And it's generally in different 
aspects of their job. Most people aren't making it to all the Angular conferences unless they're on the Angular core team. So yeah, I agree with that. And the other thing is, is that um, if you feel like you're, you have to be at all the conferences just to keep up, all the talks wind up on YouTube anyway. And so you can keep up that way. The thing that I get most out of conferences is just meeting people. Um, I'm going to jump in with a couple of picks. So I've been playing with Discord, which is... Uh, it's, how do you describe it? Something between Slack and uh, Skype, I guess, because it runs under its own app. Um, it, it's not web-based like Slack is. Um, but I am really, really liking it a lot more than I liked uh, Slack. So I'm going to pick Discord. I'm probably going to set up a devchat.tv Discord um, team, channel, channel team, whatever. Um, so keep an eye out for that. And also that uh, system for recommending stuff, uh, recommending topics. Uh, Adrian, do you have some picks for us? Uh, yeah, just uh, two of them, I think, are enough. Uh, first one would be the Angular in-depth blog. I've learned a lot from it. And well, now since I'm also uh, posting blogs there from time to time, I really recommend it to anyone that wants to read interesting things about Angular. That would be my first one. And uh, my second pick is a tool that made my life way easier and nicer. It's uh, called Wallaby. It's a continuous uh, testing tool for JavaScript applications. I use it almost daily writing tests i'm mm -hmm. not involved with the guys that made it in any way but for me it was like now i like writing tests even much more than before <laughs> it's it's way nicer to to do it like this yeah i've heard good things about them so i'll have to check them out yeah, all right well, awesome well thanks for coming adrian thanks a lot for the invite and it's been a pleasure all right well we'll uh we'll wrap this up and we'll catch everyone next week Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more. <laughs>